Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brett Menard. And my name is Jay Swords. This is our 355th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is author and journalist Anu Partinen, and we're going to be talking about her book, The Nordic Theory of Everything. The history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital, and our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Denarin, and today we'll be talking with the Nordic Theory of Everything <coughs> author and journalist Anu Partinen. Anu, what is the Nordic Theory of Everything? Well, it's not a long story, um, obviously, a book-length story, uh, but it's um, something that I came to after having lived in the United States for several years. I moved to the U.S. from Finland. And I started observing life in the United States compared to life in the Nordic countries or the Nordic region where I came from. And um, I started to think a lot about the differences in how our society supports or does not support our freedom and independence. And of course, typically we tend to think that in the Nordic region, uh, there's sort of these socialist nanny states, if you will, or, or these collectivist countries where everybody's a little bit of a willing to sacrifice their own, um, perhaps their own freedom somewhat for the good of the whole. And then we tend to think that the United States is the opposite, that, that in the United States, individual freedom is the most important thing. And, and so people are perhaps not as willing to um, sacrifice for the good of the whole. And the more I observe things, it became clear to me, with the help of some Swedish academics, actually, who talked about the, the Swedish theory of love, that the Nordic system, where the government provides with taxpayer funds a lot of basic services like education or daycare or college for everyone, it actually supports everybody's um, independence and freedom because nobody has to be dependent on, on their parents or their family or their background, but people can make life's choices and reach their, their potential with the help of these government services. So the first step for me was thinking about the Nordic um, theory of love, which is the idea that, in fact, all these social services are supporting everybody's ability to approach all their relationships, whether it's relationships with their uh, partner romantically or with their children or their parents or their employer from a place of independence because nobody has that kind of power over somebody else's um, extremely important basic services, like whether they get an education or what kind of education and so on. And so from that, I kind of developed this whole, whole theory and idea of how the Nordic societies work and how they support people's um, independence and freedom. So then it became the Nordic theory of everything. <laughs> okay, Anu, um, I want to talk about that that early thought process and, and how things went along because as I read particularly the open the, you know, the opening parts of of your chapters the thing that really jumped out at me was how stressed out 
Americans are and how endlessly surprised and dismayed you were to find that that was true. Um, you know, talking about health care and, and, or not health care, but child care and trying to figure out how you're going to have enough money to pay for sitters and who those sitters are and whether they were good or not. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because from your book, it becomes clear to me that, that you were really shocked when you, when you first came to the States and realized how stressed Americans are as a general rule. Yeah, this was a, a gigantic surprise to me, but I, and I think it is a surprise to many Europeans that have written the book. I've certainly had a lot of people reach out to me and say that who are from Europe and come to the United States, that they felt exactly the same. But so for me, when I moved to the United States, I was already in my 30s, and I, I was well-educated, had a college degree. I, um, I uh, had worked for a long time as a professional journalist in Finland, and um, I was... Um, I was always feeling somewhat cosmopolitan or a competent person. And so then I moved to the United States and it was a bit of a shock and surprise to me that all of a sudden I started to feel really anxious, just handling day-to-day logistics of life, but especially, of course, handling things like health care or health insurance or taxis. It all seemed really complicated and a little bit scary to me compared to what I had been used to. And so at first I thought that, well, it's just me because, of course, you're an immigrant and you don't understand how things work and and you feel anxious about things that other people around you are just normal way of life because they they already know it, know it all and know how everything works. But then fairly soon I started to realize that, well, everybody in America is anxious too, as we can certainly see now. And, and that has led to election of Trump and, and all these political battles. And so that was also one reason why I started working on my book, was to look at, well, what's going on here? How is it possible that the United States that has led the world for so long in wealth and in education and in quality of life, and, and we've admired the United States everywhere in the world? And how is it possible that today, if you move to the United States from a Nordic country and you're a perfectly capable person, or you used to be, all of a sudden you find it very hard to function in society? And not, a, not only that, but... Americans find it very hard to function in this society, and everybody is recognizing society. So that was sort of a starting point also for me to start to look into this, um, what's going on and how other societies organized, and, and what kind of a society would work best in this day and age today so that we could not feel so anxious about things that are supposed to be basics of life, that are supposed to be just, for me, it was, I had been, what I was used to was that healthcare was something that was just there, I didn't need to think about it unless I was sick. I never thought about it. There were no bills. There were no premiums. No health insurance. In Finland, health care is provided by taxpayer funds. So it's a public service. It's there just like in America, police or, or firemen are always there. So then it seemed crazy to me that in the United States you have to spend so much time and people are so worried about it. And I was wondering if there would be better ways of organizing this. Well, and when I read your book, I was floored. I shouldn't have been because I've lived in America all my life. Not only the financial cost of privatizing all of these services that are social services in Finland, but also the time cost, all of the time that it takes to navigate healthcare systems. And um, I have a father-in-law who had to get his hip replaced, and he spent hours and hours on the phone trying to figure out which surgeon would be covered and who was in network and out of network and if he had to see a specialist for a test before he got his hip replaced was that person 
pre-approved and all of the time that could be spent doing so much more productive things and, and all of the time that's wasted trying to navigate all of these bureaucracies. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, we tend to think that, that private business or private operations are always less bureaucratic than public services. And certainly it can be. If we're producing genes or phones or whatnot, of course, private business can be the, the leanest, <laughs> meanest, most efficient machine. But when it comes to really complicated services like healthcare or education or daycare, they're not services that people can easily compare. You can't easily compare what kind of cancer care am I going to need and, and how much should it cost? And this ordinary person has no way to compare that. But in the current American system, the idea is that that's how it's supposed to work. That the same way you buy your genes, you buy your, buy your cancer care, and then you compare and you go with the best price and best quality product. But of course, in practice, it's impossible. And what it leads to is just like you described, that, that people spend so much time um, visiting daycare centers or visiting schools and trying to ask advice from friends, trying to figure out which one's the best one and, and do they live up to safety regulations or whatnot. And when every individual does that over and over again, there's so much time spent on it. That, that was one thing that was surprising to me about the United States. It, it's Americans, after all, who often say that time is money, too. And I certainly think that it is. It, it's money and it's quality of life. What do you spend your time on? So in that sense, these universal social services that, that for example, Nordic countries provide, it basically means, means that people pay taxes and they've outsourced this to the government, which does the regulating, does the quality control, sets the standards, and then offers this service that you can trust. And if you can't trust, if it doesn't work, then you're a taxpayer and you can raise your points and you can demand better services, which, you know, uh, Finns, I think, are known to be notoriously negative people. <laughs> I, I quite like Finns. I, I'm back in Finland now. I moved back. But, but Finns do tend to complain a lot. They're not the most sunniest, optimistic, positive people. But I think the good side of that is that Finns are really quick to start complaining about the quality of public services if they're wrong, and they demand that politicians do better. Yeah, I, overall, uh, it really sends everybody time and money. I saw uh, one one quote from early on in your book. Finns, in particular, have a tendency to view life as a parade of endless obstacles and disappointments, and to dispense with small talk and niceties. And I read that, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I'm part Finnish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not something I really love about the United States is that in, you know, everyday social interactions, I love it that Americans are sort of energetic and positive and, and look ahead. Uh, that's wonderful. Twins tend to be, like I said, much more negative overall. But of course, we can see that Americans too are angry now. It's not like Americans are shy, happy people, even if, if we have this stereotype of Americans being more um, happy. But I think, yeah, in Finland, sometimes, obviously, I feel things complain a little bit too much in comparatively respective things. Their life is pretty good. But at the same time, I do think that there's a positive side to it. The people are really quick to demand also improvements for the weakest in the society. Even if it's not, you know, my own um, question or service that I need, but I think in Finland people have a really keen sense that these services should treat everybody equally and they should uh, be high quality and they should be easily available. They're not always. That's certainly false and, and you need to improve things always. 
But um, I think in that sense, it's a good thing that people feel that they, they can and they have the power as taxpayers to keep demanding for better services. All right. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. KALA 88.5 FM, the radio station with the most diversity in the Quad City region. Jazz, blues, R&B, hip-hop, Spanish and Hispanic programming, gospel, new rock, oldies, news, and shows addressing local community issues. And the world's best in entertainment and news from Public Radio International. Here's something different on KALA 88.5 FM, the most diverse radio station in the Quad City region. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brett Menard. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is author and journalist Anu Partinen, and we're talking about her book, The Nordic Theory of Everything. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. Terry, as one of two, we're, we're very lucky. We have our world travelers as history buffs <laughs> this time. So uh, you guys have all the insights we're ever going to need. So Terry, why don't you start okay. us off? Okay. Well, first, Anu, I want to thank you. I absolutely loved your book. And I hope that I took many things from it, especially it reminded me exactly what we face here in our society, how stressful it is, especially for young Americans. And so with the current uh, political cl climate where we have many people trying to run for the presidency, if you could personally talk to either Senator Biden or <laughs> Senator Sanders or any of the current Democratic contenders on how, what steps we would recommend to help young Americans today achieve a more stress-free life based on the Nordic model, what would you ask? Well, I often, especially young people, when I, I still do give talks at the American universities and so on, and, and young people often ask me, what could they do personally? What's the one thing I would recommend? And the thing is that what I recommend is is government action or political action. I think Americans are often very focused on individual um individual action, something that I can do at home. Can I meditate? Can I do yoga? Uh, can I do something in my community? And I think in many ways that's wonderful. Of course, we all need to also take responsibility and, and act ourselves. But I think from the Nordic, the lesson from the Nordic countries is that a lot of these issues are so big that you really need to have government action and, and public services and everybody can't just do it alone. So then my advice always is that, well, you have to just... Um, organize in politics or you have to vote or you have to demand that your representative works for these issues. And when it comes to the presidential candidates, I really wish that we could in the United States talk about these kinds of universal social policies like like um, universal health care, not as something radical. They are constantly referred to in the United States as radical suggestions. And of course, you can say that in American context, they're radical because you don't have a universal health care system. So it's radical to propose one. But all of Europe has. It's not at all radical in other countries. 
So it would be really nice if we could talk about them just sensible, normal solutions that support free market and business. And so, for example, when it comes to Bernie Sanders, I was never really a fan of himself, him calling himself a socialist. It's from a Nordic perspective. It's not, he's not really a socialist, or what he's proposing is not socialism, at least as we understand it in Europe. So that would be my one thing. Could we talk about these as just sort of sensible solutions that support everybody's equality of opportunity and everybody's freedom and independence, all these extremely American values that Americans believe in and, and goals that Americans want to reach. And then we could think about how we could make them fit the other aspects of the American society. All right, Rick. Anu, I uh, uh, also will give you a, uh, a majority vote. Uh, I love the book. My my wife forced me uh, into reading it because I normally write, read just pure science. Uh, and being a uh, of uh, Swedish descent, she told me to understand hers. I needed to read the book, so it's been very helpful. <laughs> uh, the the, th- the thing that struck me, uh, my background is actually in political science. Uh, spent a lot of time in Europe, uh, and in fact, Jay and I and our wives spent uh, uh, time in in uh, in uh, uh, Scandinavia. Uh, and it is a different attitude. There is, it's just you know, you can feel the the difference. The one thing that strikes me in America is uh, our political and social cultures are economically based it is uh, whatever is good for gm is good for america type of philosophy and freedom is defined as the uh, as you already mentioned the individual uh success or failure uh in this this society uh the the governments of uh, uh scandinavia finland uh, norway uh sweden and and uh, denmark uh have a much different political culture than we do. Uh, the the people are generally the culture is based uh, almost homogeneously on a on a a, uh, a a cultural group where the United States is uh, the old. Uh, 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 we have all we have people from all over. There is no one uh, uh, cultural strain that that wins out. How important is that difference to? the the individualism and the I, I would call it fragmentation as you've described it uh, in the United States for addressing these universal issues how uh, how how much does that have to to play in well I think that is a really important question because of course it's true if people come from very different backgrounds and maybe they're recent immigrants and so so there is less of a sort of a joint understanding of what we're talking about and how things work and people have very different ideas of what kind of a service can government provide if they if they've never experienced for example high quality government services and the nordic countries in that respect of course are different um the nordic countries today are more diverse than americans often think but certainly when these societies and these models have been created they've been very homogenous um but my thoughts on that. First of all, I think there's one misunderstanding often in the United States about how the Nordic societies work or why people go along with it. And the, the, the assumption is that, well, the Nordics are all, they're all white, they're all Lutheran, they all share the same history, so they're one, one big or small, if you think of a, compared to other countries' family, and that's why they're willing to go along with 
services and systems where the wealthy um, sacrifice their own good to provide for the poor because they feel this sense of kinship and belonging. And I don't really think that's true. I think the Nordic people are just like people everywhere else in the world. They're just as selfish. <laughs> they think about their own uh, interests just as well, just as much as elsewhere in the world. And Finland, for example, had a really, really brutal civil war when it became in- independent um, in the early 1900s. And this was a, a class war, basically, between socialists and, and if you will, capitalists. So there, there's been a lot of bad blood in Finland. That it's not at all that everybody agrees. If you look at any of the political debates in the Nordic countries currently, just like everywhere else, there's populist movements, there's leftist movements, there's green parties, and it can be very acrimonious. But it's not that everybody agrees all the time and loves one another. I think the key is that in the Nordic countries, everybody feels... Like they personally themselves get something out of the system. So it's in a sense based on, based on self-interest. It's not so much that I want to be a good person and I want to help my neighbor. It's more that, okay, well, it makes sense for me and my family that daycare is provided for us and it's reasonably priced and, and I can go to college and my child can go to college and it's reasonably, well, it's free, basically. It's taxpayer-funded service. And if I need health care, you know, I'm taken care of. So one thing I think would be important in a country like the United States to to make the case and stress that this is good for everyone. This is good for you personally. It's not that you have to go along with this and somehow sacrifice your own well-being for the good of the whole. But this is something that it's a win-win, even for the wealthy, because then you can you can outsource a lot of the functions to the government and you don't have to spend so much time on it. And wealthy people in the United States now spend huge amounts of money on their private schools or, or college education and so on. And overall in the Nordic countries, the wealth too are typically quite happy with the quality of services. I mean, Finland's president had a baby not long ago and, and they went to the same public hospital as everybody else in Finland. And it's a high quality service and it's fine. So that's one thing, I think, that it's not based that you have to have people who all love one another and agree with one another. But then, of course, it's a difficult thing when you're trying to, if you, if you think about the United States and you're trying to introduce something new when people have such um, different ideas, so you really have to, I guess, focus on showing good examples and, and explaining how it works and how it benefits everyone. Uh, along those lines, Anu, I want to talk about one of the things I found most interesting and brought a smile to my face was the Finnish baby box. I just absolutely thought that whole thing was just amazing. And as a grandparent um, who who just went through, whose, whose children just went through the insanity that we called uh that that we call maternity leave in the united states um you know where uh where my daughter was was lucky enough to be able to burn all of her sick days all of her decade-long accumulated sick days so that she could have uh, an extra six weeks at home with her with her child and, and actually spend um, you know, a couple of months there instead of literally a handful of days. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that baby box? Because I would sure have loved to have my kids get one of those um, at the beginning of their child-rearing process. Yeah, so the baby box is really a Finnish um, institution. It's been around for a long time, and it's it's literally a box, a big cardboard box that comes filled with um, baby clothes but also kinds of other 
stuff, baby nail clippers and uh, uh, hairbrush and all kinds of little baby things that you need when you first have a baby. And it's provided to everybody who's, uh, to all families who are expecting a child by the government for free taxpayer-funded service. You can choose. If you don't want it, you can you can um, get a cash benefit that's the equivalent, but most people take the box because the clothes and the, the items in there are high quality and they're always colorful and super nice styles and all of that. And so this was started in, the, in Finland already in the 1940s and originally it was uh, help for the poor. But as many Nordic social benefits, they perhaps started as sort of a welfare policies, then they expanded and expanded and now uh, they serve everyone. So this box, for example, is sent to everyone. So wealthy people certainly don't need it. Of course, they can buy that stuff if they want. But if you're a first, you know, first-time mom or dad, it is extremely convenient that you just go to the post office and you pick up this, and there's all these items that you would not have thought that you're going to need. You don't even realize that you're going to need them. And it's also great that nobody has to feel like they're the target of charity. There's no stigma because everybody gets it. It's just the positive, lovely thing. It's sort of a rite of passage. And third, it kind of gives you the message that, okay, the society is here for you. We appreciate that you're having a child and we want to help. And here you go. So, And the, the designs change every few years. So people are always excited when they're pregnant or expecting a baby, then they're excited, like, oh, what are the designs going to look like next year? And I can tell from personal experience, uh, I lived in the U.S. for years and I had my child in the United States. But So I was living there, and since I wasn't a resident of Finland at the time, I didn't have a right, of course, to this baby box. But my friends in Finland somehow managed to um, get one. Usually they're not for sale at all because they're just a government-provided service. But they got one, and they sent it to me to the United States. And I basically burst into tears when I opened it. And it wasn't the clothes, you know, you can buy baby clothes in America. Or, well, it was because the clothes were nice, but, but it was just the idea, this, this sense of, belonging and feeling that all of my country has provided this to me and my child and our family. So it's a wonderful thing, I think. And it's, and it's been proven to work really well. The baby can also sleep in the box. <laughs> there is a mattress in there. And many families have babies sleep in the box for the first, you know, a few weeks or whatnot. But, but in the end, really, that's not necessarily the thing that can use it the most. It's more the stuff that's in it. And and I just think I, I absolutely I have to make a, an editorial comment here. I absolutely agree. Just the the concept as I read it, just the idea that that the, the society as a whole, because that's really what government is. Government isn't a set of buildings or whatever that that you know some impersonal. It's us. It's it's us in representation. The fact that the society would would care enough about the the members about its individual members to do something like this that's i found it so uplifting you know again it's it's just yeah you can go it's not the material it's the thought that that really makes the difference at least from where i'm sitting so i love that well and there's one more thing to it that i should mention that originally in in uh, especially the, it's tied to maternity care. So you have to, after you've gone to your first visit at your maternity uh, clinic, which in Finland are also public and free of charge, but after you've gone, then you can sign up for a baby box. So originally it was also an effort to get everybody to go to the doctor so that you can um, take care of all, all pregnant parents and moms and, and uh, their children. So there was that sort of public health idea to it as well. It is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. 
Anu, why do you think the Nordic theory of everything is relevant in today's world? Well, if we look at the different regions and countries in the world right now, the Nordic region is definitely the it's the best functioning, it's safest, it's people have really high quality of life. And I'm not just saying this as a Finnish person, I, I'm speaking of studies and comparisons, and, and I went through it dozens of these um, studies that compare countries on different aspects. And so it is quite objectively clear that in this day and age, the Nordic model at the moment serves people the best. And it serves uh, us in a way that we want to live now because families are changing. And it's not that we always change, live next to our grandparents who can help or, or it's not that um, we always have partners or many people live alone and so on. So it's important to have a system that helps everyone. And that's not only based on, on whether you happen to have a family or people around you in your town who can help you. So in that sense, I think um, this system currently seems to work the best. All right. Um, I'm going to kind of add on to that. Um, and, and you touched on it earlier. Um, I think this is relevant because it does provide a model that translates, if you think about it, translates well, because it's not really a model that I have to switch from numbers to numbers. It's a concept. Um, you know, in your book, you talk about American resistance and that complaint that, well, America is just so much bigger than Finland or Norway or Sweden. And so, you know, that's a small country solution for a small country problem. It would never work in a big... And, and as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, that's not true. The concept works completely. It, size doesn't... Scale isn't important here. You know, what's important here is that idea of these are services, these are services that make people better off, these are uh, these are ways of treating people in your community that that empower them rather than restrict them, and and that works whether you're talking about 300 million people or whether you're talking about 30 million people, um, and and so for me that was really a revelation and and talking about then reframing the the, the debate that this is no longer about handouts and things like that, but it's really about a mindset. Um, so for me, that really mattered. Um, when we get back, we will wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. This program, the award-winning Relevant or Irrelevant, is heard Friday evenings at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on KALA HD2 or 106.1 FM in the Quad City area. You can listen over the air or anywhere via TuneIn.com. To hear this program and many other archived editions at any time, visit SoundCloud.com. Search for username KALA Radio. There you'll find Relevant or Irrelevant and many other productions produced at the St. Ambrose University Communications Center. This concludes our 355th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. 
Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is Brent Menard. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, author and journalist Anu Partinen, who talked with us about her book, The Nordic Theory of Everything. The history buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala. Peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.